are questions most of us wrestle with. How do we nurture a positive body image while we're constantly being judged? How do we deal with pressure to act and look sexier in order to fit in? How do we change a system that marginalizes many of us and that rewards Hello and welcome. This is the June 2019 podcast of the American Journal of Public Health. The lyrics of the jazz tune, interpreted by jazz singer Maria Lawrence and composed by Francis Jacob, come, guess what, from the introduction to a chapter entitled Body Image, from the book Our Bodies Ourselves. Our Bodies Ourselves was conceived 50 years ago, in 1969, as a self-help guide about health, written by women and for women. It was originally written by members of the Boston Women's Health Collective, a non-profit women's health organization. The book has undergone several editions since then, and incidentally, the original typewritten version, entitled Women and Their Bodies, is downloadable for free. I'm sure that most of the listeners who were at least teenagers in the 60s are familiar with the book, but younger people are less likely to have read it, perused it, or even seen it. So is our bodies ourselves history, or does it still have a role to play in today's world? In this pod, I discuss the question with Judy Norsegan, co-founder and current board chair of Our Bodies Ourselves, and with Sally Guttmacher, professor emerita at New York University and member of the board of the Alumni Association of the Guttmacher Institute in New York. And I have a video conference with members of the 2019 AJPH Student Think Tank, who are, in alphabetic order, Jay Balanya, Shanae Birch, Emily Dalton, Jeremy Wang, and Caitlin Williams. I'm Alfredo Morabia, the editor-in-chief of AJPH, and we are May 5th, 2019. I ask Judy Norsegan to evoke the context in which Our Bodies Ourselves was conceived by telling us her personal history. Younger people today don't realize the context in which, you know, the our bodies ourselves was conceived. If it's not too personal, can you tell me what you felt in 1969 and what, you know, brought you to join the collective and, and write this book? Well, you have to understand that in the late 60s, there was very little information about women's health, sexuality. Women knew nothing about our bodies, even college-educated women. There were many taboo subjects, plus most of us were socialized to be good girls, and I put that in quotes, don't ask challenging questions, you know, uh, behave properly. There was a, a, a kind of acceptance of chauvinism, sexism, and up to that point. And the women's movement, as it got off the ground, 
became quite angry about what it saw to be dehumanizing realities to our lives as women. Now, I was the youngest woman in the Our Bodies, Ourselves group when it actually uh, legally established itself as a nonprofit 501c3. And I had come through a, a very turbulent time, late 60s. I graduated in 1970, Harvard strike, a lot of very, very um, difficult conversations about the war, about civil rights, about and the women's movement. And what happened for many of us who were uh, in this position of uh, coming into the women's movement, but also caring about all these other issues, uh, civil rights, peace movement, and in increasingly interested in gay and lesbian issues, we were, uh, we were at sea because we basically operated from a place of ignorance about basic stuff, about bodies, anatomy, physiology, reproduction. And yes, of course, the uh, abortion movement was getting started and, and developing momentum then, but we were, we were really moving in so many different directions. Many young people today don't realize that the straitjacketing that occurred back then was pretty intense. And that if you were to move out of that mold, even to become, say, a woman physician, I have friends who had the most horrendous interviews when they wanted to go to medical school. They were basically grilled for, why should they accept them? Because they're just going to get married and have kids and their education will go to waste. These things were actually said to women when they were applying to medical schools. And that kind of sexism and discrimination was pretty rampant, not just in the field of medicine, but that's, of course, what I was exposed to more. But if uh, our bodies ourselves was political, it meant that it, were, it confronted specific powers. Which were those powers? Well, uh, there was, if you look at the very new, first newsprint edition of Our Bodies Ourselves, which was published by the New England Free Press in December of 1970, you will see a chapter on the health and medical care system, which roundly criticizes capitalism and the profit motive, that it has no, no point, no excuse to be in health and medical care. And a strong case was made there for why capitalism was a bad model for providing medical care. There were some medical students who were involved in writing that chapter, most notably Dr. Lucy Candib, who recently retired, um, has been on the faculty at UMass Medical School in Worcester, Massachusetts, and a very prolific writer in the field of family practice. Um, she was a family physician for many decades. And I am reminded by how eloquently she wrote about a system that uh, exhibited racism, sexism, uh, all kinds of classism. She also was acutely aware that the kind of medical training we need wasn't always available. Back then, physicians got practically no training in nutrition, nothing about sexuality, and they had a lot of very weird ideas put into their heads about what women were all about. And, you know, the famous quote from one of the medical textbooks, or maybe it wasn't even an OBGYN textbook, read something like, the core of the female personality consists of masochism, uh, passivity, and female narcissism. Now, if you look those traits up in any dictionary, they're dysfunctional. They're pathological to begin with. So by definition, women were a set of pathologies, if you read this textbook and believed it. 
it wasn't surprising that women got treated the way we did if you looked at the textbooks and what they said about women. I also asked Sally Guttmacher about her first exposure to our bodies ourselves, because as the daughter of Alan F. Guttmacher, who nurtured the early development of the Guttmacher Institute in 1968, she might have had greater access to reproductive health information in the 60s. Very soon after it was published, I, I knew about um, Our Bodies Ourselves. But for someone who had the father you had, was this a revelation also? Was the first edition a revelation? Well, I would say because there was nothing like it, you know, um, and I think that that, in a sense, it was definitely a revelation. It had uh, a profound effect of sort of uh, providing information that's really difficult to get and encouraging uh, women to become um, more active, I think, in, in these issues around uh, women's reproductive rights. Well, I think what interested me the most was the reproductive health part of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, just how open it was about, um, about everything. I wasn't really interested at that point in the issues around aging, which became more interesting to me later on. But, um, you know, just, uh, as I remember the, the folk my focus was sort of on reproductive on issues around reproductive health. Life can often seem like an episode of the reality TV show. America's next top model. Next, what happened in the 80s and 90s to our bodies ourselves? How did the book adapt to the new context after the 60s? Listen to Judy. Has there been a change in the content of uh, Our Bodies Ourselves, moving more towards the self-help, uh, medical, uh, biological dimension than uh, the political? Yes, I would say there has been a transition. In the beginning, we were much more concerned about basic demystification, understanding our bodies. Yes, we did raise some questions about surgical procedures, drugs, um, things like that. But it wasn't for some years before we started to ask really hard questions about safety and efficacy of both surgical procedures and medications for women. And that took our partnering with many people in the field of epidemiology and public health. They weren't our strongest partners in the very beginning. And that partnership over time helped our bodies ourselves to develop both the organization and the book that we produced into a much more sophisticated treatise so that we began to see that our health and well-being wasn't primarily about access to health and medical care. It was about the air we breathe, the food we ate, the water we drank. It was about all the public health principles that you learn if you go to public health school, but you don't learn mostly in mainstream America. So we began to develop an appreciation for all the other things, the, the, where you live, the safety on the streets, the pollution, the toxic waste dumps, all the things that 
have an impact. And ultimately, we learned that poverty was the single greatest predictor of health and well-being, not just for women, but certainly for women. And so we started to look more broadly at what women needed in terms of public policies that would improve our health, the health of our families. And this included things like uh, adequate housing, adequate education, a decent place to live, uh, all the things that we, we know now to be so important. I then ask Sally whether the issues covered by our bodies ourselves had lost their topicality. In the original uh, Our Bodies Ourselves, there was a lot about uh, sexuality, about uh, uh, sexual orientation, about uh, ma- marriage and, and uh, being a single parent and things like that. So uh, is this not interested interesting anymore i mean or people find also this information on media well times have changed right i mean um and so that's uh it's not that it's not interesting but it's that um you know we're now at a stage where um marriage is acceptable between people of the same sex Um, and a lot of these issues that were covered in, in our bodies ourselves are covered in television programs. And as I said, on the internet and, you know, on the, in the newspapers. So there's a lot more out there. I guess it's much more, you know, it's much more as a topic that's much more acceptable now to, to talk about and to, to bring out into the open. I mean, you're coming Remember, Our Bodies Ourselves came out in 69, she said, coming, you know, not long after the 50s, in which all of this uh, information was really bottled up and nobody was allowed to really talk about any of this. So it was like, um, you know, this springtime coming when Our Bodies Ourselves came out, because it was covering all of these issues. Our looks are compared with those of our peers, our sisters, the women in media or imaginary ideals. No one ever asked if we want to participate. I am privileged to be advised by a group of brilliant and energetic students, the AJPH Student Think Tank. It comprises six students selected each year out of hundreds of applications. This month, they have written a captivating comment on Judy Norsigan's article in the June issue of AJPH. I wanted to gain the perspective of their generation on our bodies ourselves. I first asked the student think tank what they knew about the text. Did one of you or several of you know about uh, our bodies ourselves before, you know, I, I asked you to, uh, uh, to give me your opinion about it? This is Caitlin. I knew about the piece, um, but I knew about it because um, I had learned about it in, a, in my, you know, Women's Studies 101 class in college. Really? So in, in, in where was this college? 
This was at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, um, where incidentally I'm back doing my PhD now, gosh, over a decade ago. <laughs> and so they told you about our bodies ourselves. Did you actually see a, a copy of the, of the book? Up on the screen, you know, um, on the projector, I think later I went to the library and picked up a copy and I didn't learn, I didn't actually read the book until that summer when I was working at the Feminist Women's Health Center in Atlanta. Um, and then got to see multiple copies of the book, including some of the original prints, which was amazing. The idea that we, that women were going to take control of the narrative and talk about our own bodies and say, you know, we can do our own exams. We can, you know, we have a right to know how our bodies work and how the things that we put into our bodies, like birth control work, um, and not, um, solely rely on, you know, some, other expert to tell us, but that we have a right to this information, I think is very political. And I was, I was struck by that. For you, Jeremy, had you ever heard about uh, our bodies ourselves? No, I had not prior to um, you asking the think tank to write about it. Um, I don't know if that's a function of being the youngest on the think tank or being a male or being both. And you, Jay, what's your relationship with uh, our bodies ourselves? Uh, so really similarly to Caitlin, I discovered it in undergraduate, um, under undergraduate education, uh, my freshman year, I think, uh, I don't remember which semester, so either 2008 or 2009, um, I read portions of the book uh, in a poli-sci class, um, actually, that covered uh, feminist thought and literature. Um, and so I've always sort of seen the book, rather than as a health text, as a sort of radical political statement. Wanting to feel about our bodies and our appearance is natural creating our own style allows us to express ourselves and reflect our creativity clearly our bodies ourselves is an important historical landmark even for younger generations but does it still have a role to play we will hear successively the opinions of Judy Norsegan and Sally Gutmacher. The younger students today do reflect a new and savvier generation than, say, 15 or 20 years ago. And I know this because of the incredible contact I've had with hundreds and hundreds of undergraduates over the last 40 years or so. Uh, there was a period practically nobody knew about our bodies ourselves, and maybe it's because our generation became women in gender studies faculty. Maybe more people gave our bodies ourselves as a gift to teenagers. I'm not sure of why, but over the years, there came to be a rather savvy group of younger women and men who were not just better informed about their bodies, about health and medical care, but they were also interested in activism because that was one of the key differences between our bodies ourselves and many other books about health and well-being. Many self-help books were out there. Many books were out there about various topics and health, but very few made the connections between the realities of our lives, the social and political context and and what we needed to do to make things better, not just for ourselves, but for others. And there is a very substantial cadre of young people today who use the book, who have started amazing projects, basically following in the footsteps. Some years back, a group in Philadelphia did a book called Trans Bodies, Trans Cells, 
completely modeled after our bodies ourselves. And we were so happy to give them support. And one of our founders, Wendy Sanford, wrote the afterword for the book. And it's become quite a unique resource for the trans. So, so you, yeah. So, so you think, Judy, that there is a, a need, still a need today for our bodies ourselves, even though the generation has changed, that uh, the, the political context is different. Do you think that our bodies ourselves still respond to a need? Yes, absolutely. And I'm not saying that because um, the book is still selling and the last update was in 2011. Uh, our website is frequently visited. We have about half a million visitors a year. Oh, no, half a million visitors a month. And we are not even well-staffed at the moment. We transitioned last year to a volunteer-driven nonprofit, and we're still providing limited support to our global partners and other countries who are doing translation adaptations of either part or all of the book. It is because we see women and men writing to us, uh, either they're responding to a blog or they're going to our website, uh, they're making a comment about what they see in their community. The need is still there. And one of the problems is that although there are other good resources besides our bodies ourselves out there, very few are read by the vast majority of young people. Mostly they go to the internet and they get misinformation. Uh, sometimes it's anti-choice misinformation. Sometimes it's misinformation that you will see at a website created by the pharmaceutical industry, which is mainly about selling product, not about educating the public, as we well know, that you will see all kinds of traps that people fall into. So back when we started, there was no information. We knew we were ignorant. Now the problem is a little different. Young people sometimes think they know what they need to know. And if they know anything, it's largely misinformation, unless they've been lucky enough to find a good resource. The information has become much more available, largely through the Internet. And so I think that the Internet has made a big difference in the, the specific influence of our bodies ourselves because there is a lot of information out there. Women use the Internet more than men. The more educated women are, the more likely to use the Internet. Now, smartphones are different because smartphones are available much more to younger people and across the race and um, educational lines. I think the real problem that we're dealing with now, and we didn't have to deal with with our bodies ourselves, is fake information. I think that, that, that the Internet and smartphones have overshadowed our bodies ourselves. And now let's consider the perspective of the younger generation and the role that the student think tank envisions for a current day, Our Bodies Ourselves. How would you conceive the, the 2019 Our Bodies Ourselves? Just raise your hand and I'll call you. Yeah, Jeremy. Hi, this is Jeremy. Okay. Um, so I think as a queer person, I see a lot of parallels between sort of this lack of information regarding, you know, our bodies, um, and sexuality and sex, um, in this generation. And I think that that's a potential avenue that our bodies ourselves can shift to address issues within the LGBT community more specifically. 
I was actually teaching a sex ed class last week at a local high school to a group of really passionate LGBT students and activists. And it was shocking to see the kinds of misinformation that schools are providing for um, non-gender binary or um, other LGBT students. And like seeing the harm that that misinformation or lack of information causes was really shocking to me. So I think our bodies ourselves can explore these sort of diverse identities um, that could also benefit from books like this. And we've seen that through offshoots of our bodies ourselves, like trans bodies, trans selves, um, that I was seeing was inspired by OBOS. This is Caitlin. You know, I think there's something to be said for having a physical a physical copy. And maybe this is because I'm an older member of the think tank and I, I still print things out and, and read them on paper and highlight them. I'm, I'm a physical reader that way. Um, but I have a project that I'm working on right now, um, kind of, with young people in Argentina designing um, a sex ed app. And the feedback that we've gotten really, really strongly from um, the young people that we've been working with who are between the ages of 16 and 24 um, is that they really want information. Yes, the LGBTQ information. Um, and they really want information about um, consent and violence, um, which I think is really similar to the U.S. and saying, you know, what are the different ways in which a relationship, whether that's an, you know, an intimate partner or friends and family, like what are the ways in which those relationships are healthy and what are the ways in which they're not? Um, and I think that it, that, you know, that having that information infused into the whole conversation is important here too. Yeah. So, so you mean uh, our bodies ourselves have to be updated for the new uh, movements that didn't exist then. And there's the so. there is the Me Too movement, et cetera. That's what you're saying. And can I jump in there too? Please, please. This is Jeremy. I think that that's, uh, we, we talked some about the risks of the online platform, but I think that's one of the benefits um, of having this conversation online, that we can react to what's going on in the real world, that these conversations have real world connections and implications every day. And I think that's so valuable also about moving these conversations to a different format. Yes, Emily. Emily. <laughs> Um, so yeah, to speak to that, Jeremy, I believe it would like also have to be kind of like a newsletter format because it would have to be in real, like in real time and like just constantly evolving with the landscape and such. All right. A newsletter. Hi. Yes. Shanae. Hey, this is Shanae. I was just thinking about how, if this were to live online in our digital space, um, I, I think that what I'm noticing as someone who's really interested in using the art and storytelling for public health is that there are a number of artists, singers, dancers, visual artists that are also responding and contributing to these conversations that we're having and how maybe a 2019 version of Our Bodies Ourselves could be multi multifaceted and, and come through multi-mediums. I think there are a number of artists that probably would just raise their hand and say, I have something to contribute. I have a story. Shanae later tweeted that she regretted not having mentioned names such as Beyonce or Lizzo. How do we deal with pressure to act and look sexier in order to fit in well, everybody seems to want a new Our Bodies Ourselves. 
The good news, as Judy explains, is that Our Bodies Ourselves has plans for a new concept of the book to appear in 2020. The project that is going to be completely online is being uh, administered by the Center for Women's Health and Human Rights at Suffolk University. And it will involve faculty from a number of different universities, many of whom have volunteered as readers over the past four decades or so. We have a lot of extraordinary experts and readers, but it will also engage many undergraduate and graduate students in doing the research, collecting the stories from their peers, identifying what the top issues are. While Our Bodies Ourselves is being re-envisioned and reformatted for an online platform by Suffolk University, the student think tank members envisioned a slightly different, more collective and consistently evolving representation of the original text and the movements that it has inspired. Here is Shanae with her perspective. I think that what the what started within our bodies ourselves has transcended to multiple organizations. So I think that it could be a, a I think right now it's like a collective ownership of leading that conversation. And I think a lot of people can take um, take cues or be inspired by what it is that OBOS was doing. But also we have a number of other movements that also are talking about it and are it's moving it forward for girls and women life can often seem like an episode of the reality tv show america's next top all right at the end of these interviews it looks like our bodies ourselves provided new access to critical information for women in the 60s But given the societal context then, access to this information was a political statement of women's rights and liberation. When the political tension ebbed and declined in the 80s and 90s, our bodies ourselves strengthened its technical, medical, public health and self-help dimensions. However, it also became a historical text for younger generations. Today, Much of the contents of Our Bodies Ourselves are available through other media, although they are embedded in poor, dangerous, confusing, and misleading information. There is also a renewed interest by younger generations to view reproduction and sexual health as political issues, like in the 60s. Within this context, there was a strong consensus among all my interviewees that Our Bodies Ourselves has an important role to play today as a reliable source of information and evidence on reproduction, sexual health, and also on new issues such as LGBT health and sexual violence. Its contents should be easily accessible through an online platform. Our Bodies Ourselves has a project for 2020, and it will be exciting to see whether it addresses these challenges or not. I'm grateful to all my interviewees for their time and willingness to share their ideas. 
I also thank Emily D'Agostino for assisting me with the production of the podcast. Thank you also to Michael Costanza for comments and edits on an earlier version of the podcast. Francis Jacob wrote the jazz tune to accompany a few paragraphs taken from the chapter Body Image on the currently available version of the book on its website. The singer is Maria Lawrence, New York jazz vocalist, educator, and ambassador. Her website is marialawrence.net. This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at ajph.org or subscribe to it on Android or iPhone podcast apps, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, or on any other podcast app. That's it. Thank you for listening. and women life can often seem like an episode of the reality TV show America's next top model throughout every phase of our lives our appearance is judged and critiqued Our looks are compared with those of our peers, our sisters, the women in media or imaginary ideals. No one ever asked if we want to participate in this lifelong competition. Being female automatically makes us contestants Subject to constant scrutiny Wanting to feel good about our bodies And our appearance is natural Creating our own style Allows us to express ourselves And reflect our creativity and values But there are questions most of us wrestle with How do we nurture a positive body image While we're constantly being judged? How do we deal with pressure To act and look sexier In order to fit in How do we change a system that marginalizes many of us And that rewards appearances above all else